All right, so Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. If you don't have your Bible, um, there should be a hardback black one near you. Uh, you can open that up to, to Matthew 6. Um, if you need to look at the table of contents to find Matthew 6, that's okay. Uh, you shouldn't, nobody should give you any problems for that, all right? So, so do what you need to do. If you don't own a Bible, uh, we would encourage you to take one of, one of the, the black Bibles around you home and, and make it yours so that you have a copy of the Word of God. So Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Um, as you're turning there, I'm going to begin to pray for us. And so when you find it, go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes with me so we can pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, we thank you for... Uh, the time of worship. Uh, we thank you for uh, the time of, of reflecting on Leviticus 25 and, and 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, we thank you for the, the hearts of, of the children of our church as they, as they want to share their experiences and as they, Father, want to, to learn more about you and how you loved this world so much that you sent your only son, Jesus, to live, die, and come back to life to save sinners like us. And so, Father, I pray that as we, we talk about um, the ideas of, of money and stuff and anxiety, uh, that we would do so through the lens of Jesus, of his life, death, and resurrection. Father, let us take to heart what Jesus teaches us because he's the only one in the history of humanity to say that he would live, die, and then three days later come back to life. And Father, we believe that he did it. We believe that, that what happened the Sunday after Passover, what happened, what we will celebrate next Sunday changes everything. And so if it's going to change everything, it should change the way that we view our things and our money. Father, we ask that you would open up our eyes, that we may behold the, the wondrous things in your law. Father, we, we ask you to speak now for, for your servants who are listening, for your glory and for our good. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So, I really wanted to remind you today that you cannot take your stuff with you. And I wanted to use the idea that you can't hitch a U-Haul to a hearse. And then I saw this picture this very week. And so my sermon illustration was completely stolen from me. So there is a hearse with a U-Haul attached to it. Now, what this, il I mean, there's so many things this illustrates, right? Um, what it probably means is somebody owns a hearse and they had to move, so they, they, rent, they rented the U-Haul to, to move it. Um, because we know that, that if there really is a dead person in that car and it, their belongings really are in that U-Haul, um, it doesn't matter anymore because they're dead, right? They can be buried with those things and it doesn't matter. But here's, here's what we need to, to kind of set as our foundation as, as we begin today. The, the Scottish pastor who actually now pastors in America... Um, his name's Alistair Begg. He talks about how there is a, there are three gods of the modern age. And they are success, stuff, and sex. He said those are the three gods of, of the world that we live in today. 
And I think to perfectly illustrate this, if you go home today and you watch the final round of the Masters, there are three types of commercials that you will definitely see. You will definitely see investment firms because they want to, to get you to think about what to do with your stuff, right? To, to make more money, to get more stuff. There will be Cadillac commercials and Lexus commercials and, and BMW commercials because that's the sign of success. And then there will be the awkward commercials, especially awkward when I watch baseball with my kids and they tell you about Viagra, right? And what's that for, Dad? We'll talk about that later, right? Um, but that... You'll see all three of those commercials because that's what we're concerned with. Success, stuff, and sex. And so today, we're going to focus in on one of those gods of the age, and that's stuff. Jesus wants us to think about our stuff, not with a temporal perspective, not with what's going to happen in the next 100 years to me and my children and my grandchildren. He wants us to think about eternity. He wants us to look at our money and our belongings with 10,000 years in mind. This is a big ask, right? Because in our day-to-day -day lives, we're not thinking about 10,000 years from now. In fact, I was sharing with, with, with a few men yesterday as we finished up the Easter egg hunt that, that I've got um, four papers that I've got to finish this week before I go to school, and I haven't even thought about them because I just wanted to make sure we got through the Easter egg hunt, right? And so now I've got to turn my mind to school things, and then I've got to turn my mind to Easter next week, right? There, there are lots of things on my plate, not to mention the fact that my adorable little boy is turning nine years old today. So if you see him, please... I said nine. I meant four. I don't know why I said nine. Um, because my mind is, I've, I've, whew, it is the ninth. It is, we'll, we'll blame it on that, but I don't think that's what it is. Um, my little boy is turning four today. Um, and so uh, it's just a, just a busy time in my life. And to be honest with you, um, I haven't thought about 10,000 years from now very much in the last few weeks, and I probably won't for the next couple of weeks. And so it's good to come in here today with you and to rest in the truth of God's word and to hear these commands from Jesus. Because we have to remember, whenever Jesus makes a command, it's for our good. At no point does God ever command something just to do it. God doesn't lay down these commands on your life and these demands on, on our, our being for God to say, just do it because I'm God. He does it for our good. And the things that you're going to hear today may not sound like they're for your good. We will struggle with some of the things that Jesus says. But when we look at it, not from 10 years from now or 50 years from now, but 10,000 years from now, we will see the wisdom that Jesus is trying to get across. 
So I want to start with this propositional idea, and then we'll move through Jesus' teaching at the, from, um, through the end of, of Matthew chapter 6. And so here's, here's what I'm going to propose before we work through the text. Stuff is a cruel God, but God provides eternal life and for our needs. Stuff is a cruel God, but God provides eternal life and for our needs. So we begin with verse 19. And don't forget what we're coming off of. Remember what we learned last week as we walked through verses 1 through 18 of Matthew chapter 6. Jesus told us very clearly that when you give to the needy, you don't do it to tell people, look at how godly I am by giving to the poor. And when you pray, do not do it like the hypocrite Pharisees do by standing on the street corners and using big religious language and trying to show off in your prayers. And don't pray like the Gentiles who think if they just repeat the same thing over and over and over again, somehow the gods will magically um, provide for them like they're saying some sort of magical incantation. Jesus teaches us how to pray. And then he says in verses 16 through 18, when you fast, you wash your hair and you, you put on clean clothes, don't fast in a way that people will say, oh, look at how spiritual she is, or look at how, how wonderfully committed to God he is because he's fasting. You give and you pray and you fast before an audience of one. You do it for God's glory and for him to see your heart not for everyone to see your actions. And so we move from this into verse 19 where Jesus says this, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this should remind us that the world of Jesus isn't too far removed from us. The two surest ways to know that you held riches in the Roman Empire, in the Greco-Roman world, was by owning precious metals like gold and silver and bronze, and by owning pieces of cloth, pieces of fine cloth that, that were given value because of how hard it was to attain them. And so the way you knew that you were rich in the Greco-Roman world was to have lots of precious metals or to have lots of clothing and cloth that was hard to buy. It's very similar to today. We might use our plastic cards, right? But those plastic cards are, are backed by, well, they used to be backed by gold, but now they're backed by pieces of paper that promise that's how much they're worth. But we, we don't need to talk about modern economics. That's, that's another time and another discussion, right? Um, but again, we, we put value on pieces of clothing based on the label that's in them, right? Right? 
And if you own certain types of clothing, that means that, that you have, have attained a certain level of riches. And, and if you have other types, you're, you're not quite as rich. But what needs to be seen here, what needs to be understood here, is that Jesus is saying, don't lay up treasures for yourself on earth. Don't make your life here and now about accumulating stuff and wealth. Because here's the problem with trying to obtain stuff and wealth on this earth. Moths will come and eat your clothing away. Rust will come and devalue your precious metals. We could take this a step further, right? You buy the new iPhone, but what's going to happen a year and a half from now? A new iPhone will come out. And what happened, I mean, think about how many landfills are filling up with iPhone 1s and 2s, right? Think about, think about how fickle fashion is. And think about how the years 2008 and 2009 changed this country's financial outlook. I was listening to Tim Keller. He's a pastor in New York City. Talk about how hard those years were on his church because so many young men and women that had flooded into New York City to work in the finance industry lost their jobs and they had to go home. And some of them became so overwhelmed by what happened that in 2008 and 2009, almost weekly in the New York Times, it was reported that some higher up in some financial business had jumped out of their office window to commit suicide. Friends, money is fleeting. It can be here and it can be gone tomorrow. Jesus is not calling us to some sort of self-imposed poverty, okay? He's not saying, do not work hard. He's not saying, don't make money. What he's saying is, don't store up treasures for yourself on this earth. Pastor John Piper has this quote, and I love it, and I, I, I think it should drive this conversation. He says, it's not a sin to make a six or seven digit income. It is a sin to demand that a six or seven digit lifestyle comes with that income. It's not wrong to work hard and make money. But the reality is, is that if we let money drive everything that we do, we will miss the reason God put us here on this earth. He did not put us here to make a bunch of money. He did not put us here to build our own little kingdoms. He put us here to live for his glory. And friends, you can work hard for his glory. You can make lots of money for his glory. But how you use that money you make is what matters. And if you use your money for your benefit alone, Jesus would say you're going to fall into the trap of making 
money your God. But I'm getting too far ahead. We're going to hit this in a second. Let's, let's stay where we are, right? So this is um, for you English folks who, who love language, um, where he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasure. That's, that's an imperative. This is a, this is a command that Jesus is saying. He is saying, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And then he follows it up in verse 20 with another imperative command. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now here's the thing. This phrase, this idea, it is so broad. There are so many things that we could fill into this category, right? I mean, just thinking in terms of what to do with your money, to give to the poor, to give to mission organizations, to support your church and the local ministries that are happening here. These all fall into building up your treasures in heaven, of, of using your money to help make disciples here and around the world and to alleviate suffering. Those are good things, but that's not only what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is calling us to live with eyes and hands and mouths that focus on Jesus. And so to build up treasures in heaven would be to commit your life to making disciples, to commit your life to growing in the faith, to commit your life to helping your spouse grow in his or her faith, to commit your life to raising your children and pointing your grandchildren to the good news of Jesus Christ, to being a good church member who seeks the good of the church, not, not just in financial terms, but in healthy terms. To do whatever you can to help others know and enjoy God because of the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That's what it means to build for yourself treasures in heaven. This is not just a financial command. There is so much that falls into this box of building your treasures in heaven. But Jesus tells us that these things, these, these treasures in heaven that we're laying up for ourselves, moths and rust cannot destroy. Thieves cannot break in and steal. And then Jesus comes with he wants us to understand stuff and money with the idea of idolatry. This is why we use the word God. And we said stuff is a cruel God. Because in verse 21, he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The things that you value, the things that you treasure, that's where your heart goes. The things that you spend your money on, that's where your heart goes. So pay attention to that. Pay attention to whether you're building your kingdom or God's kingdom. Because money and stuff are fleeting. This is just one of the reasons why stuff is a cruel God. But God provides eternal life and for our needs. Verse 22. This is what doesn't seem to fit, but, but hopefully you'll, you'll understand it as we walk through it. Verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two, ma- two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So Jesus jumps into this discussion of the eye. Um, we need to take Jesus' words at face value. Okay, And so he says that the eye is the lamp of the body. And you think of a lamp, you know, imagine for, for a moment that, that we live in first century uh, Israel under the rule of Rome. We're, we're there with Jesus and Peter and, and John and James. And, and it's nighttime and we're awake and we need to find something in our house. You cannot flip a switch and find it, right? You have to light a lamp. And so what Jesus is saying here is that your eyes, as as being the lamp of the body, your eyes are what shine light on the things that you come into contact with. This is a sort of a primitive way of saying your eyes are how you understand the world, right? Like you process things through seeing them. And so as Jesus is making this argument about money, he's saying, listen, how you look at the world matters. And how you look at money matters. And if you're using your eyes to see the success of your neighbor, and you're using your eyes to see the, the pitfalls of, of someone who hasn't managed their money well, and you're using your eyes to say, I really wish I could have his whatever, or I wish I could have her whatever, right? He, Jesus is saying, if you live in a way that tries to keep up with the Joneses, you're going to be living in the dark. If your concern is to do better than your neighbor, if your concern is to have something better than what your neighbor has, you're going to be so caught up in sin and darkness that you're going to miss the big picture. You're going to miss God working in this world. You're going to miss the gospel. And so he moves from that discussion of the eye into the fact that you cannot serve two masters. You can only be devoted to one master. You cannot serve God and money. You see, here's the thing that Jesus wants us to understand. Money is an amoral thing. What we mean by that is money is neither good nor bad. All right? It is, it is amoral. The thing about money is you can use it for good and you can use it for bad. I don't know if you've heard this. I used to hear this, um, especially when I was in college, which is funny because I didn't go to a Christian college. I went to a state school. But you would hear the phrase, um, you know, money is the root of all evil. That's not what Paul said in 1 Timothy. He said the love of money is the root of all evil. Friends, if God has blessed you with riches, you can use that for his glory and the good of the people around you. Money is not evil. It's what we do with money that makes it evil. It's how we think about money that makes it evil. 
It's like the notorious B.I.G. said, right? Mo money, mo problems. I know I, I just lost about three quarters of y'all, but um, he was a rapper from the 90s. Um, but, but anyways, um, money is not necessarily a bad thing. But Jesus talked about money a lot. Remember what he says after, after the young rich ruler comes to him and, and says, you know, well, this is going to be the quick Andy version. Uh, he says, good teacher, how man inherit eternal life? Jesus says, um, honor your father and mother. And he gives him a couple of the other Ten Commandments. The young rich ruler says, I've, I've kept all of these. What else must I do? Jesus says, sell all that you have and come follow me. And, and the Gospels tell us that, that he uh, walks away sad because he was very rich. And then Jesus turns around and he teaches his disciples and he tells them something. He says, it is, it is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into heaven. And as Americans, that should give us a little jolt because even if we're not rich in terms of American uh, uh, definitions of rich, compared with the rest of the world, we are doing incredibly well. Compared to the rest of the world, if, you're low, if you are a lower middle class American, you are rich. And the reason, and this was true in Jesus' day, and it's true in our day, the reason it's hard for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven is because when you have money, you can entertain yourself to death. You can focus your eyes and your heart on whatever you desire. This was true for the, the, the Jews and Greeks and Romans of Jesus' time. This was true for the, the desert nomads of Abraham's time. If you were rich, you can, you can lose yourself in your riches and miss God. And so Jesus is... He's giving us this striking contrast that you cannot serve two masters. You either serve God or you serve money. Not to say, again, don't hear this as, sorry, I gotta keep my hand out of my pocket. Don't hear this as, don't go to work, don't make money, because that's not what he's saying. You can work hard and make money and do it in a way that serves God. But the thing you have to do is when you wake up in the morning, when you put your clothes on, when you drive into the office or, or, or into the field, when you go to do what you do, the first thing in your mind is, how can I glorify God today? How can I serve the people around me today rather than how can I go get what's mine? Do you see the shift there? We are called to live for God's glory. We are called to live for the good of our neighbor. And if you are serving money and trying to make as much money as you can, you will miss that. You will not hit that mark. So Jesus gives us this command. He, he gives us these two contrasting ideas. And from this, we jump into verse 25. He says, therefore, and what do we do when we see the word therefore? We try to figure out why it is there for, right? 
Jesus says, therefore, because of everything he's just said about money, that we are to build up and lay up our treasure in heaven because where our treasure is, our heart is there also, that, that the eye is the lamp of the body, and, and if the light is in you is dark, how great is the darkness, and you cannot serve two masters, you cannot serve God in money. He says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So Jesus understands what he's asking of us. He's asking us to live for God and not for things, and now he's telling us, don't be anxious about the things. Don't worry about what you will wear. Don't worry about what you will eat. God is good. He is a good father who has always provided for his children. Now, provision doesn't always mean a big screen TV and an F-350, right? Sometimes provision is a small TV and a car that barely gets you there, but it's still provision, all right? And so he says, do not be anxious about your life. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? There is so much here to be taken apart and looked at. Birds are very industrious animals. What does the early bird get? It gets the worm, right? Birds work to get their food. Have you, ever, have you ever just watched birds sometimes? They're hard workers. They put effort into it. But they don't build barns to store things. They know. Even though, I mean, look... Birds' brains are very small, right? They don't have categories to think about God. But they know every morning that they wake up, the worms are always there. The opportunity to provide for themselves through the provision of God is always there. And so the, the argument that Jesus is making is that you are of more value than birds, Birds were not created in the image of God. You were. Birds, you know, there is no Jesus version to the birds to say, repent and believe in the gospel. I have died for you. Follow me and I will save you. Jesus came specifically for us. And his message is, if God provides for the birds, how much more so will he provide for you? And you worrying about things, that's not going to add a single hour to your life. Verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yes, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying... What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Nothing is more beautiful than a field of flowers. 
right? I mean, maybe you could argue uh, a drive through the mountains or standing at the ocean. I mean, I, I'd be willing to take that argument on, not to, not to, to argue with you, but, but I would understand where you're coming from. But Jesus is saying, look, you look at a field of wild flowers and you are taken in by the beauty of it. And even, he uses Solomon here because you remember who Solomon was for the nation of Israel. He was the son of David. He was the wisest king that ever lived in Israel. Uh, The Bible would argue that he's the wisest man that has ever lived. And, And because of his wisdom, God lavished him with riches so that he was wearing clothing from around the world. And Jesus says, even Solomon, who had closets that we could only dream of, cannot reach the beauty and majesty of a field of wildflowers. And those flowers don't even have brains to worry about whether God's going to provide for them or not. And yet every spring and summer, they come in all of their glory. Friends, you are worth far more than wildflowers who are here today and gone tomorrow. Don't worry about your clothing You see, this is another reason that stuff is a cruel God. Because we feel like we have to worry about them. We feel like we have to worry about where our money is and where it's going. We feel like we have to worry about the shape that our homes are in. We feel like we have to worry about what clothing, you know, I mean, I've got three growing kids. And all of them are super tall, Right? We buy them pants and they become capris very quickly. Like I understand this idea of worrying about clothing. But Jesus is reminding us that stuff is a cruel God. It leads us to lose sleep when God provides us with eternal life and he provides for our needs. Verses 32 through 34. For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Remember, Jesus is speaking to a specifically Jewish audience here. And so he wants to call to mind for them that seeking after things is not what the people of God do. So Gentile that's a Christian, this is not saying to you, you don't care about God. It's saying, think about those around you who don't care about God. They are the ones that run after, what will I eat? What what clothes will I wear? And God is calling you to trust him. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. There is a lot here, so let's just boil it down to this. You are called to seek after God. Trust the gospel, follow Jesus, do what Jesus commands you to do, and God will take care of you. Will he lavishly bless you? Maybe. Maybe not. That's not the point. The point is not how much God will give you. The point is that he will take care of you. You trust him, you obey him, and he will take care of you. So stuff is a cruel God, but God provides eternal life and for our needs. I want to give you very quickly four ways to apply this. I want to give you a way to apply it individually, at home, in the church, and in the community. The first one is this, individually, be content and be sacrificial. 
Multiple times in the New Testament, think of Hebrews 13, think of 1 Timothy chapter 6, there is godliness in contentment. Be content with what you have. Don't wake up every morning and think, I don't have enough, I need more. Be content with, with what God has provided for you. And out of that contentment, be sacrificial. Find ways to give sacrificially. Train your heart to think of sacrifice. I think one, one of the quickest and easiest ways to do that is to tip well at restaurants, even if the service is bad. Because even if the service is bad, there's a way to give grace, right? To give them something they don't deserve. And to be sacrificial in the way we tip is a way to show. Because hopefully they see you pray before your meal. Hopefully they hear gospel conversations at the table. And it's good to follow that up with a sacrificial tip. That's just one small way to think about that. But be content and be sacrificial. At home, trust God's provision together. Trust God's provision together. Have conversations around the table with your spouse, with your kids, with your grandkids about the way that God provides. And talk about, you know, for those of us that are, are getting older, talk about the ways that he provided in your 20s and in your 30s and in your 40s, right? I mean, Megan and I are loving having conversations, especially with our older two, about some of the lean years for us when we were in seminary. And about how when Grandma and Pops and Mama and Papa came, we got excited because it meant we'd get to go to Sam's and load up on things that we couldn't normally afford, Right? And how there were times when we would look at our bank account and think, how are we going to do this? And God would provide. There would be a, a, a random $100 that would show up somewhere. God always provides for his children. Tell those stories and help your kids see, especially parents and, and grandparents with your grandkids, help them see your sacrificial giving. Now, remember last week, don't do it for show. Right? Don't get your kids to say, wow, how awesome are mom and dad because they give sacrificially. But show them how you give sacrificially, not so they'll say mom and dad are awesome or grandma and grandpa are awesome. Shh, let them see that God always provides. And because he always provides, that enables us to give generously and sacrificially. Third thing at church, invest here. Okay? And, and look, we've, you hear all the time us asking you to invest your time here. I'm going to be very specific. Invest your money here. Build your treasures in heaven by giving sacrificially to your church. This is not, I'm not, I'm not angling for a pay raise. That's not, that's not my concern, okay? I want to see this church do everything we can to reach every English-speaking person in the Hatch Valley with the good news of Jesus Christ. Sorry, I put my hand in my pocket again. I need to stop that. Um, and, and the best way for us to do that is to have money behind us to do things like we did yesterday. Think about all of the kids that came and picked up candy and jumped in a bounce house, and they were all whether personally one-on-one -on -one or in the times before the egg hunts, all of them were invited to be here to hear about Jesus. 
and we're going to do the movies again this summer, and we're going to uh, have the fall fair and vacation Bible school. There are so many ways that we want to bless our community to tell them about Jesus, and we need you to invest in this church to help us accomplish that. The final thing in the community, invest to God's glory. I am never going to tell you that all of your money and all of your giving should come to the church. I don't believe that that's a a New Testament idea. I believe that you're called to give to the church and to help help have the, 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 the trellis so that the vine can grow, right? But I believe that you're called to give to people that are struggling even if you don't go through our church. And I believe that we're called to to help projects and things be done in this community. But make sure whatever investment you're making with your money in this community is done with God's glory in mind. And I don't know how to answer that question for you, but I know some questions to ask yourself. Questions like, Will using my money in this way give me an opportunity to talk to someone about Jesus? Will my money being used this way make Jesus famous in the Hatch Valley? Will using my money this way detract from God or encourage sin or encourage rebellion against God? As you're thinking about how to use your money in the Hatch Valley, start with the glory of God. Friends, if you really want to be funny when I do your funeral and you want a U-Haul attached to the hearse, that's cool. We'll, you know, we'll make it work. Um, I'll even ride to the cemetery on top of the U-Haul if you want me to. Um, we need to. We need to use our money for God's glory. And we need to think not 10, 50, or even 100 years from now, but think 10,000 10, years from now. And, and let, me, let me finish with this, because you're going to see a video after we sing, right, about the, the North American Mission Board offering, and we talk a lot about the, the International Mission Board offering. Um, I think those are two ways, right? So Easter time, it's, it's, it's America and Canada, and then Christmas time, it's, it's the rest of the world. I think those are two great ways to start your sacrificial giving, Because if you're thinking 10,000 years from now with your money, how amazing is it going to be? And this is going to happen, right? There are people groups and languages that the gospel had never made it to until Southern Baptists put money and training into missionaries and they went to those people and told them about Jesus and now churches are there and people are saved because we as Southern Baptists gave. And so there are going to be people that are going to be in heaven praising God for the the Lottie Moon Christmas offering because that's the way they found out about Jesus. And so when you're thinking 10,000 years from now and you're thinking about God's glory and you're thinking, how do I use my money for this? Missions is one of the first places your heart should go to. There are I was, I was sharing this with, with a few people the other day. There are still three billion... There are still three billion people in the world who have no access to the gospel. The New Testament is not in their language, and there is not a church or a missionary 
that is working near them. Three billion. Think about that. Like we, we talk about how tough it is sometimes in the Hatch Valley that there's only, you know, there's only a few, there's only a handful of churches here, right? But at least there's a handful of churches. At least there's churches making efforts to get the gospel out. Three billion people don't have access to the gospel. Friends, we can't all move to Mongolia and North Africa to take the gospel there. But we have people that are willing to go if the money's there. So let's give for God's glory and give for the spread of his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. Uh, I thank you for Jesus and, and the commands that he lays on us. God, sometimes his demands are hard. Uh, sometimes they're, they, they, they kind of step on our toes just because, just because we're Americans, just because the culture that we're swimming in. And so, Father, I pray that, that today was brought clarity. Um, I pray that it was, it was given with grace. And, Father, I pray that all of it, everything that we just heard today, was, was on the foundation of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. God, let us not hear these commands from your son as coming out of, out of a, 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 it's not coming from a vacuum. It's coming from our Lord and our Savior who said this before his death on a cross to pay for our sins and his death-defeating resurrection from the grave. Father, we love you, we trust you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.